This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to Rihanna Patrick on ABC Radio. What is the Bogan Mondrian about in your own words? Well, it's about a young teenage boy who lives in um, North Katoomba, so I guess the wrong side of the highway. The South Katoomba is much more wealthy. And Luke lives with his mum, and he befriends a girl, Charlotte, who uh, is from a much wealthier family and finds out the issues that Charlotte is having to deal with in her family, principally uh, the issue of domestic, domestic violence. Uh, so the story is about Luke and Charlotte's friendship and that much wider, heavier topic of domestic violence. Stephen, Luke seems like such a genuine character. Where did this character of Luke come from for you? The parent in me says that I've got two lovely young sons. <laughs> I want them to be like Luke. <laughs> the realist in me says uh, he's a figment of my imagination. I was very aware that I was writing a book about domestic violence where a male character does uh, you know, unspeakably uh, violent things to his wife. That's Charlotte's, uh, Charlotte's dad and mum. And uh, so I also wanted, on the other hand, to create a male character who showed real male strength and kindness and empathy. And Stephen, um, I wanted to ask you about that theme of masculinity that runs through this book and that juxtaposition of Charlotte's dad compared to Luke, who seems to, you know, he does wag school and he seems to really be struggling after his dad's death, but he seems to have such an understanding and an empathy and, um, and is caring about those around him. Yeah, and I hope that that's uh, transmitted through the book because of Luke's relationship, past relationship with his own father. Uh, in the book, he's, Luke is dealing with the death of his father, but you get flashbacks of what sort of parent uh, Luke's dad was. Uh, he was certainly flawed, but he was certainly loving. And uh, I think, you know, all good children are given huge amounts of support in the family. Uh, and that's where you can trace morality uh, and kindness and empathy back. Uh, and that's what I wanted to uh, to present in the book. On the flip side, Charlotte's father is a wealthy and well-respected man in the community, that good bloke syndrome that we often hear about, and yet he is behind closed doors, he is violent to his wife. And as we know, domestic violence affects all classes, races and religions. And so I deliberately flipped the masculine roles, if you like. One of the other main characters, in fact, in the book is a car thief, uh, Rodney. Oh, Rodney's great. Uh, yes, he, he is a mix of both uh, reasonably good morality and, well, obviously not so good. I, I think an author inhabits the grey an author doesn't, shouldn't make things black and white, but we do inhabit that area between and we try and find nuance and understanding in that. I wanted to ask you about particularly Luke's dad and the way that you wrote him. I mean, why was it important for you to show the warts and all in that and that uh, Luke wasn't just remembering the good things about his dad? Yeah, I, I guess because I wanted Luke to be seen as clear-eyed, as having a understanding of people's failings as well as their, their good points. And so Luke is well aware that his father was a gambler, 
and uh, and they were poor simply because of his father's gambling. But he's equally aware that his father gave him love and understanding and uh, and friendship. And, you know, those are the things that young men need. It's, it's not something that comes... I, I mean, I worry nowadays that we as parents seem to want to give our children things, objects, uh, iPads and iPhones, rather than some sense of the world as being a moral uh, place of tolerance and understanding. And that's the best gift, surely, we can give our children. Well, that is interesting. So, I mean, while you were writing this, were you actively thinking about maybe those things that you had growing up that now your children have that they might not have experienced or, you know, that the world has changed so much for them that, you know, you're also trying to make, kind of get an understanding for yourself of, of what it's like to be them in the world that they have? Yeah, look, I think every author really is just trying to make sense of both their own world and the world of the other people they care about around them. Uh, so that's what I was really trying to do. I was, uh, I was putting both Luke and Charlotte uh, in a position of real stress and trying to make their responses believable. I do stress that I'm not writing a polemic here. I am writing the personal, and so character and story and setting they must be real and believable uh, for any novel to be accepted and enjoyed. Uh, so while in the back of my mind there's also always the issue of domestic violence, at the front of my mind when I'm writing it's about creating characters with depth and, uh, and some sense of, you know, of being real. So Stephen, um, if we look at Charlotte, I mean at what point did you know that you wanted to write a story that really looked at domestic violence and domestic violence from maybe a setting that we haven't seen in a book before? Yes. Uh, look, like everyone, my uh, social media feeds are full of the awful statistics to do with domestic violence. Uh, you know, I can list a few here. You know, there's the fact that one in six women in Australia have been subjected either in the past or in the present to physical violence from a partner. That's a, that, when you start making the statistics real, that's important. So that means one, 1. 1.5 million women have experienced domestic violence. That's an epidemic as far as I'm concerned. Uh, our politicians talk about terrorism. Well, it's, it's a cliche to say, but the terrorist is in fact in our midst and it's uh, a number of men. And, and once you flip those figures, if you say that there's 1.5 million women who've experienced that domestic violence, if you flip those figures, that means, even allowing for repeat offenders, that there's probably half a million or more men who are violent to their partners. And so it's an issue that every man needs to understand. So every time we talk to or about women, we need to be aware that someone listening may be uh, someone who, who hurts their partner. And so what we say is important between each other as men. Uh, so that was the kind of the big issue that was in my social media feed and I wanted to explore that through, uh, through a fiction story and I was, as I mentioned earlier, I was well aware that uh, domestic violence is across all classes and all, all races and so I didn't want to make that obvious cliche of someone poor um, and unemployed uh, hurting their wife. 
this person is a, uh, a very wealthy man and a man who's upstanding in the community, uh, at least as far as the community knows of him. Uh, and so that was important. So uh, a lot of those things are flipped in this story, if you like. Yes, yeah, Stephen, going in, I knew that the book covered those themes of domestic violence. And when I first started reading, I honestly thought it would come from Luke's point of view. And p- saying I was pleasantly surprised is not the right word. But I was very interested when I realised, no, it was actually going to be from Charlotte's point of view. You know, I was really interested in what you were trying to say about that situation and, and you know, the importance of of looking at it from that point of view. And the way that you set up Charlotte's dad, you know, as being wealthy, well-respected, uh, he's likeable. You know, there's one point where Luke meets him, I think, at a school function and kind of doesn't understand the version that he's got from Charlotte and then the version that he sees in front of him. And I wanted to know, did that play an important part in what you're writing in, you know, really looking at that power dynamic and the way that that plays out with someone who might not be involved, but they're being told what's happening to someone? Yeah, and and I'm glad you picked up that very scene in that uh, Luke almost starts to disbelieve Charlotte once he meets meets Charlotte's dad because Charlotte's dad is so charming. Uh, I've lost count of the number of times when we've seen a front page newspaper report of a man who has killed his wife and children and he has been uh, described as a good bloke. Uh, it's 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 a sloppy piece of journalism and it's a disgusting cliche that needs to be um, wiped from our, our, uh, our media. Good blokes do not harm anybody. And so the man who kills his or hurts his wife or children is not a good bloke. Uh, and the community needs to recognise. And, and I guess what I've also tried to do in this story is I've tried to flip the, uh, the notion of power, that uh, Charlotte's dad is a very powerful, wealthy, well-respected man, and that's how Luke and Charlotte work out that they can um, address this issue. It ends up being his kryptonite, doesn't it? Yes, that, that's exactly right. And I quickly add that I'm not saying I have a, uh, an answer to domestic violence. Uh, it's, it's multifaceted, uh, the, the, the way to solve it. But in this case, with these individuals, they do find a way to, uh, as you <laughs> put it very well, find Mr Walsh's kryptonite. Now, Stephen, this book, The Bogan Mondrian, is set in Katoomba. You live in the Blue Mountains. Was there a reason you decided to pick Katoomba? Uh, yeah, there was. I, I, I wanted to use my uh, neighbour's house as the setting for, <laughs> for Charlotte. I did ask him about it. <laughs> but they live in a very beautiful house and uh, they're very wealthy and uh, they're very. I quickly add they're very nice people. Um, but I, I like to set my books in places where I'm familiar and I've lived in Katoomba for 25 years now and while I probably overstate the divide between North and South Katoomba, uh, I did do that for a reason, that North Katoomba is uh, much less wealthy in economic terms and Luke is aware, aware of that that divide between he and Charlotte in terms of economic things so yeah, I, I, I did want to set it here 
Uh, I, I love Katoon, but I hope this doesn't make me unpopular in the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did want to ask about whether the reservoir where the Luke goes swimming with the dog that kind of quickly becomes his friend and where we first meet Rodney and where he later takes Charlotte, I did want to know if that was real. It's real, but <sighs> it's not accessible, well, not legally accessible to residents. It's part of the water source. So technically, no one's supposed to be there. So that's, <laughs> that, that is, a, that is a, a slight fiction. And all the characters are fictional, I hasten to add. We probably have car thieves in, uh, in Katoomba like we have everywhere, but I haven't met Rodney and I don't know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not giving his address to the police. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen, I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, your own connection to your community, and I wondered how much of that played into Luke's connection with his local community because he's he's very embedded in it and he is the kind of neighbour I think, you'd, you know, you'd like to know. Yeah, some of my favourite scenes were the uh, scenes between Luke and his uh, Italian immigrant neighbour, Mr Rossetti. Mr Rossetti is teaching Luke how to swear in Italian, which I think is a, a, a pretty useful skill to have, <laughs> and Luke certainly enjoys it. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, that's how we become community, by meeting each other and by sharing time together. And it's, it's something that we tend to forget because we all are stuck with our iPhones and our computers. But the best way of meeting someone is chatting to them over the back fence. And that, that's what Luke does, and Luke is quite happy to do that. And I, I kind of enjoy, I, I, I must say, I really enjoyed writing Luke's relationship with many of his friends. Luke and Blake. Blake is, is Luke's best male friend. And Blake, to put it mildly, isn't the smartest person in the town, but he's got a lot of goodness in him. Uh, and he's aware of what men can do. I, I felt like I... I felt like I knew that community and it seemed like the type of community that really looked out for each other. Mm. And it's it's something that I think, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I am speaking in general terms here, but I think working class communities still do that. Uh, I'm not so sure if we middle class communities are as concerned with that. Uh, we drive our children to the football, we drive to the shops, uh, sometimes not having as much money means that you are out on the streets more, which means that you are connected to those around you. Now, Stephen, what I loved about Luke was that he is pretty resourceful, and I feel like this book is also talking up that you should go and visit your local library. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I, I've got to say, I did, I did enjoy writing all these uh, lesser or minor characters in the book. Luke's relationship with the librarian was a lot of fun. I, I, I visit probably 100 to 150 schools a year to talk to students about my books. So I've met lots of librarians, and they're always really accessible, approachable characters. Uh, so I, I had fun creating a tableau. Uh, of librarians I have met into the one character of this librarian in particular. Now, Stephen, you've written a few books, um, and that's an understatement. You write for adults as well as young adults. And I wanted to know, with your writing process, did it change much writing this book? And I'm assuming that you've got that pretty much bedded in now. Yeah, so I've written 24 books. Most of them have been for children and teenagers, and a lot of them have been verse novels, that is, poetry that tells a story uh, through, through the narrative of various characters' voices. Uh, this one is, is written in prose, and 
I, I enjoy probably writing for teenagers more than anything because I, when I was a teenager, I felt there was limitless possibilities uh, to my life. And as I say, I visit so many schools and I'm still relatively optimistic about the way teenagers approach the world and see the world. So it's always, it's always fun to write for that audience. Although I, I do stress, I don't really write for an audience. I write to, for myself and to kind of make sense of the world. Uh, it just so happens that I often use characters that are between the ages of 15 and 18. And so the book gets packaged as a, a young adult novel. Some of my books have been packaged overseas, both as adult and young adult books, even though it's the same book, they just changed the cover. And what do you think about being labelled the pioneer of the verse novel? Do you accept that title? <laughs> well, I wrote the first verse novel for teenagers in Australia uh, 20, 25 years ago, I think it was. So I don't mind it. I <laughs> wanted to be a pioneer in something, I guess. <laughs> Stephen, I wanted to ask you about, now, is it right that the Bogan Mondrian, you've done a screenplay for this? You've written, you've attempted the screenplay? Yes. As I've said many times, and I'm sorry to repeat myself, I loved writing this book so much, and I loved the characters, that when I was finished with the the first draft, I, and I sent it off to the publisher. I, uh, I kept going with it by writing a film script uh, based on, on or adapted from that, that novel. I entered it in a competition up here in the Blue Mountains and it won. Uh, and so the prize was that reputable actors would act it out uh, and do workshops. So I managed to get some proper training in how to write a film script, <laughs> not that I had any beforehand, and uh, see it performed, uh, kind of like a play, even though it was a film script uh, in Katoomba. So that that was lovely. And I'm now hawking the uh, the film script around. So there's a possibility we might see this on the big screen. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> you'd, you'd like to think that. Uh, I, I don't know the film industry at all. I'm much more comfortable with books and the, and the literary industry. So I've got my fingers crossed. I'm so excited by that, Stephen, because I, when I was reading this, I thought this would be great as a TV series or as a film. So I'm so glad to hear that that, that is, a po- you know, let's just put it out into the universe, a possibility. But how did you find that process of going from book writing to then having to visualise that into a screenplay? Oh, it was great fun. It was really, you know, I guess because I was so immersed in the book as it was that it was so easy uh, to write the film script because the film script is, is really much more pared back. It's just setting and dialogue. So you can really focus on the dialogue and how to build character through that dialogue. So, in fact... As I wrote the film script, I started going back with my editor. We were still editing the, the, the novel at the time and changing some of the dialogue because I thought I'd written better dialogue for the film script because I was aware that it was going to have to be spoken. So it was a really good process and I, I loved it and I've already started adapting one of my other books as a film script as well. Again, I, I don't really expect any of them to see uh, the light of day, but it's a fun process to do. Now, Stephen, the question that most authors dread to be asked, are you working on anything new? (laughs) (laughs) I'm always working on something new. This one's a a verse novel for children about a bunch of inner city children who want to 
I guess like every child, they want to be independent. And it baffles me that we drive our children to school. Uh, it's, it's a phenomenon that's happened over my lifetime. I always rode my bicycle or walked to school. Same here. Yes, and it was a wonderful feeling of independence and you could hang out wherever you wanted and, you know, you were a child and you learnt about the world through being outdoors and being uh, independent. And so these kids want to do that, but none of their parents want to stop driving them because they're scared. They're afraid of, you know, traffic, not understanding, of course, that they are causing the traffic and they're worried about stranger danger and, and all these sorts of things. So like all parents, we see the worst instead of the best in children and in society. So I, I've got lots of kind of ideas on how the children are going to take control of the situation and win their parents over. This is Rihanna Patrick on ABC Radio.